Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy, druids. In cars. Going to festivals. So one of the questions that we got recently was about pets. Uh, I, I think it was particularly a question about pets and, and their passing from this world. So content warning, we'll be talking a little bit about um, pets and their passings. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, I think, share some of our experiences, both of, of owning our pets and our interactions with them, as well as the things that we've done after they've passed. So, just to let folks know in advance that that's what we're talking about. So, I've owned a couple of pets. I've had a couple of pets. Um, ownership seems like a strange thing, honestly, when you look at it. Especially if you have cats. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at it from that relationship standpoint, ownership seems not to be the right word, but it's a common word that we use. Um, and indeed, with cats, they are often <laughs> the owners in the relationship. And that is what I have had are cats myself. Um, I, I have entered into relationships with people who have had dogs, and those dogs have become part of my family, but... They, they weren't almost, your dog. They were not my dog. Yeah. Um, I, I have never myself had a dog um, that I considered primarily mine. Um, but I've been with animals for nearly their entire lives, um, from start to finish. And so having that connection is something that has been a part of my life for a very long time. Yeah, I've had cats, a dog, among other animals that, uh, like childhood, I had hamsters, um, my daughter has a rabbit, but, um, for me, the primary relationships have been with my cats and with my dog. Yeah, and when I was a kid, I had turtles and things like that, but we never kept them for particularly long periods of time yeah. because, I mean, they're wild animals. You catch them and you put them back into the wild. You don't hold on to them for yeah. extreme periods. Um, so, yeah. But one of the things that I think a, a nature-based and relationship-based uh, spirituality brings to that connection is not only is do we have the, the usual tropes of animal ownership and, and pet keeping, um, 
but we tend to develop relationships that last even longer than the lifespan of the animal because we are you know, significantly longer lived than most pets. Not all. I, I know that you know if you keep parrots, for example, those get passed down in wills. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the, but for the most part, we tend to outlive our animals, and we tend to to go through entire cycles. Yeah. Yeah, my um, so my first cat, uh, Velcro, was I got him my senior year of high school because I found his litter in a uh, fallen tree in my backyard, and we lived next to a farm, so he was clearly part of like the feral barn cat population. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of, like, that initial relationship building was not only just with, like, you know, a, a kitten that you get from a shelter or something, but um, a half-feral <laughs> cat. Um, and, I mean, he was primarily an outside cat for the first, gosh, three to five years of his life. Um he would come inside to sleep and like that's where his food was um but primarily he hung out in our heavily wooded backyard and I'm sure he went over to the farm occasionally and um but he was very much like my first experience with a um like intensely personal as a young adult relationship with an animal. Yeah. Um, and we, we joked when I finally moved into an apartment where I could have animals, um, he came up from my parents' house and lived with me. Uh, but he was very much a one person cat. Like <laughs> he was my cat and he tolerated uh, my husband, after a extended period of getting to know him, <laughs> um, but he was very much my cat and was not, he wasn't into visitors, he, uh, he would curl up in, like, the crook of my arm to sleep at night, um, but was not big on affection to anybody else. <laughs> um, I suspect that I knew you for most of his life. And yet, I don't think I ever saw him, but, like, three times. Yeah, I mean, he was not a come-out-and-greet-people. Like, if there were people over, he was not downstairs. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he was a very gorgeous uh, black cat. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the first two cats that I had were a pair of brothers. They were white domestic short hairs and they were also born feral and uh, brought in the, the clinic that my girlfriend at the time worked for uh, brought them in and then passed them off to me when they were you know, I fostered them for a couple of months and then they came in to, to live with me I had to get a dispensation from my landlord for that <laughs> and uh, that was a it was an entertaining process but getting to understand their, their very different personalities mm -hmm. uh, was an interesting thing. Uh, one of them was very much 
the explorer type. He was out immediately and looking around and, and trying to figure out where he was now that he wasn't in a cage. Uh, and then the other was very much a hang back and watch and see what was going on. Kind of cat. Being all white, they disappeared often into things like sheets and stuff like that, so they were occasionally hard to find. And, well, one of them passed before my kids were born. The other one was still alive, and my son, when he was probably two and a half or three, probably three, I guess, um, went with me to the clinic to, to put him down because it was just that time. And so we got to have that kind of conversation around life and death and, and what it means. And to this day, my, my daughter still occasionally talks about how that cat comes in and sleeps with her in the middle of the night. Um, even though you know we've moved houses and this cat has never been in that house, she intentionally brought the cat with her yeah. when we gathered the spirits at the old house and moved to the new house. Mm-hmm. And so that cat came along with us, um, as did my wife's dog um, as well, who we also ended up having to, to put down just before we moved into the new house. Um, so that was... Uh, a fascinating experience. Yeah, my daughter, I mean, consistently talks about Velcro as one of our ancestors. When we've opened the Grove Ancestor Box, like, she has brought things to put in the box for Velcro. Um, And when we talk about ancestors, I mean, she luckily still has all her grandparents, and we've never met, um, like, great-grandparents who she doesn't have anymore anyways um but when she did she i mean she had never met them uh so her really her only experience with ancestors like from on a personal level is with velcro yeah um and she was so he died at home and i was actually not in town at the time. That happened to me with my first cat death as well. Yeah, so it was the really awkward experience. So, like, I was on the phone with my husband, and Velcro had curled up on his lap, and, you know, Tom had called me, and he was like, he is really not doing well. Um, And I made him put the phone next to Velcro, and I talked to him. And... Tom called me back like a half hour later and was like, he's, he's gone. Um, and then we had, so content warning coming up about weird pet passing stuff. Just if you, (laughs) if you've stuck around this far, um, we we do weird stuff. It's going to get weirder. So just fair warning. Um, so (laughs) we had the really awkward conversation where, uh, Tom put Velcro in the deep freezer for me. Yep. Maggie, Maggie did that for me as well. She she put our cat in the freezer and until I got home. Yeah. So Velcro went in the deep freezer so that when I got home, I could hold him and like physically say goodbye to him. And I mean, I was a wreck. And so Tally's experience with like she got to see grief up close and personal with mom holding 
the uh, dead, the frozen dead cat. <laughs> um, and then Velcro stayed in the deep freezer for quite some time. Well, I guess like a month, maybe, until I could get together with Reverend Melissa Hill, yep. who we had. I had, I had thought about and talked to a few people about what I wanted to do to like memorialize him because a lot of times if you take him to uh, the vet's office to be put down then you get a little box of their ashes and some yeah. paw prints um, but we didn't do that and so I um, I had talked to Reverend Hill and I was like can you get me his bones and so she uh was in town for the Summerland Festival, and on her way back home, she stopped by, and she picked up Velcro and loaded him into a cooler with some dry ice, um, drove him back to uh, her place, and buried him for a year, so that he would naturally decompose, and I think it was in like a mesh bag of some sort, um, so that she was able to then pull him out and have all the bones. Um, and then she packed him into a box for me, um, and I have all of his, like, body bones are in, um, a box, and then his skull is on top, and it's got, um, like, symbols that she had drawn, um, on the skull. And she, uh, preserved his tail, so I have a furry tail, um... And then I have uh, a plaque that she put his footprints in. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, because of the, you know, funerary industrial complex that we have in the United States, uh, to steal a necromancy term, uh, the, the process of bodily memorializing pets is more rare than it may have been in the past Um, and most of the time most interactions people have with animal death involve cremation because that is the the obvious the easy and the most widely provided option Mm -hmm. there are also of course still pet cemeteries around that you can find and, and things like that I've opted for cremation for my own. Yeah, like, we'll probably do cremation for... So, like, I have an older cat, Diego, um, who is a fluffy, lovable jerk. But uh, when... He's my grumpy old man. And when he passes, we'll probably cremate him. Um, I don't... I... I love him very much. It's a very different relationship than I had with Velcro. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't feel the need for his bones <laughs> the way that I did Velcro. Yeah. So he'll probably get cremated, um, and we'll get ashes and paw prints. But, yeah. yeah. It, it was odd because with, with my two boys, you know, I, I had, I don't know, almost five more years with the other one, I guess. Um, maybe more. For a second, yeah, it was probably probably six, probably six, almost seven years with one that I didn't have the other. So I, I, I had one set of ashes, and I'm like, well, I shouldn't do anything with this because 
they should be together. So right. Now that I have to, I need to find a space for them. For both of them, yeah. Yeah, where they can both be. Um, and that process is one that I still haven't done. So I have two boxes of ashes sitting around um, trying to figure out what to do with them. They sit in my altar which is my closet at the moment. Um, but they were on my altar specifically um, when my altar was much larger than my old house. And uh, I'm still working on setting that up. It may be worth getting a couple of silica gel packets <laughs> because apparently ashes turn into bricks if you let them I can see sit. That. At some point my intention is not to <laughs> spread them but to... I'm set just, them in the ground, so okay. It you're not matter. thinking. You're yeah. not thinking of combining them. No. Okay. I was thinking, like, if you're thinking of combining them, uh... no, I think I'll keep them separate. They were very separate personalities. Okay. You know, they they could they could sit separately in the ground somewhere. Okay. Um. Yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's it's one of those those things. And then I, I've I've met a lot of people who. You know, ju- just as you describe these connections that they have with their particular animals, usually their first animal, but not always, but that animal that really impacted them, when it passes, it's a major life event. Yeah, and I think it it's complicated because animal death grief is not... Um, normalized in the same way that like if a human loved one passes yeah like that is way more normalized but I mean when you think about like how long you've known those animals and especially if it's a first pet like I obviously have a longer I had a longer relationship with Velcro than I had with my husband like um and so I I think it it often becomes especially hard because there's this taboo about, like, how long you're grieving your pet. Yeah. Um, but that's a long, close, intense relationship. relationship. Yeah. Like, um, so so I think the grief there is often complicated by... Um, Societal expectation. Yeah. I, I remember very distinctly um, there was a, a, a training that... I'd gone to for work, and everyone in our department was supposed to be at this training, and, and we were doing it in shifts, and it was a, a really big deal um, for for our area, and all of our senior leaders were, were really supposed to be out in front and leading in this training and, and that kind of stuff, and one of the senior leaders at one point in, in our group had to excuse himself and you could tell that he was really embarrassed about why he was excusing himself from the training because it was such a big deal you know company wide culture wide yeah uh, and it was because he had to go put down his cat and it was re- it's it stuck out at me that he was apologizing yeah for having to leave to be there with his family when the cat was put down and I'm like, you know, yeah. And everybody in the room, literally everybody in the room, understood it. Um, and, and we were all like, "No, go!" You know, <laughs> that, that's that's important. 
and, and all the way up the door, he was apologizing because yeah. he felt like he had to. Yeah, when I, so when Velcro died, when I was out of town, I was doing my traveling clergy adventure. Yeah. Um, and so I was on my way back and was supposed to have one more stop where I was giving a workshop and doing a ritual. And I, I called uh, the, uh, like the organizer of that for that area, and I was like, I am sorry, I, I, I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hate to cancel on you, but I, you know, I, A, I am not in the mental headspace to do any of that, and B, I, I need to go home and see my cat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely had that experience of like apologizing for this, like, grief. Yeah. And it's not something that we should apologize for, I don't think, because it's a it's a legitimate and real emotion. It's a deep emotion, mm-hmm. and yet it certainly feels like something that we need to say. Yeah. I'm sorry, I feel this way. For um, there's a lot of things like that in life, but you know. I mean, I feel that with lots of my emotions, but yeah, <laughs> but. Uh... Uh, we, we spend a lot of time in, in life being told that our emotions are not valid about things. This is one that I'm just going to say it for everyone who needs to hear it. It's a perfectly valid emotion, and it's a perfectly good reason not to engage in things. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going through that, particularly right now, I'm particularly sorry for, <laughs> for your loss. Yeah. Um, but, yes, that, that is something that we, as a society, we tend to push people away from and say... Oh no! It's just a cat. It's just a dog. It's you know, just an African parrot that your great aunt gave to you. Right. Whatever, whatever it is. So. Well, and you've written. I know you've written pet crossing prayers. Have you ever done like a full uh, memorial or funeral or anything? I have not. Um, I, at least not for anyone else. I've, I've done it for myself. Right. But, yeah. Um, no, I've never had anyone ask me for that. Actually, I don't think, unless I'm not remembering one that I did, which is entirely possible. But I think that I would have scripted that out, yeah. and I would have it somewhere. Um, but now, at the end of this, I can I can read the the prayer that I have most often used for this. Yeah, I know you've sent it to people. I have. Um, I made it into a graphic and yeah, made it easy to share because it's super useful. Right. Right. So, um. Right. No, it's and then I mean we have this odd relationship with animals. We talked a little bit about it earlier where you know, for our kids, they're very clearly in the ancestor column. Not the nature spirit column, not the the not even really the spirit ally column. They're they're in that that ancestor column. Um, when it comes to how they classify them. I mean, Velcro for me was definitely like in that uh, familiar spirit ally column for yeah. me while he was alive. Like he was very much that kind of relationship. And now my dog Zoe fills that pretty well. Yeah. Um, which is a like it's a super different relationship. Like not only because she's a dog and he was a cat, <laughs> which is just super different personalities, but. Um, just the experience of the two of them but they both kind of fill that same like niche um velcro was very into when i did rituals like he was he was there in the room somewhere 
Um, Zoe's favorite thing to do is when I'm doing uh, trans work, she will lay, like, if I'm in a chair, she will lay on my feet. Um, if I'm sitting, she'll, like, lay right in front of me and press up against my legs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she is, like, she's there when I'm doing trans work. Um, and, like, if I'm playing guitar, she'll lay across my feet when I play guitar. Um, she likes to lay right under the altar when I'm doing uh, shrine work. Yeah. I, uh, my relationship with my cats was, was not that familiar... <laughs> sort of spirit relationship it was very much a, a, a pet relationship I, I remember a number of times when I would light a candle and I would get a hiss in response <laughs> sulfur, yeah. I hated the sulfur smell of the, of the, the match and I almost exclusively use matches generally um, and certainly at the time that's all I used, I never used a lighter I always used the, uh, the matches and from day one, it was strike hiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my other cats are definitely in the pet category. Um, I've got Diego, who is my, uh, like, mixed-breed man Maine Coon, so he's huge and fluffy. Um, and then I have uh, Branwyn, who is um, domestic short hair. She tallies convinced that she's a Russian blue. Um, I'm not, but she does have that kind of plushy fur. Um, and then Augie is a long, lanky, white cat with a couple black spots. Um, just short hair. And they are all very much just pets. Yeah. Um, they fall into that category, uh, very solidly. Yeah. So, uh, there's a lot of interesting ways that we get to interact, I think, with animals and build those relationships. And, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily unique to polytheism and, and even druidry in general, I, but I think that it's something that we're in a unique position understanding that things have spirits outside of us um, that we can develop those relationships, carry them further, as our lives dictate that they should, um, and continue to experience those those benefits well after they have passed from our physical lives. Yeah. So, the, the prayer that I wrote, that you alluded to earlier, that I often post for people, is... Uh, very simple, but I, I was, I remember the, the person that I wrote it for um, was having those complicated feelings about the connection and the grief and is it okay to feel this way kind of experience. And there there's a lot of prayers out there, the most common of which is of course the, the Rainbow Bridge yeah. poem prayer thing that you, you see uh, posted about pagan circles. But uh, what I wrote was this. We have walked the earthly ways together for many days, but never long enough. I stand here now, your friend, to see you off upon a journey that can have no end. May I see your eye when I see the sun and feel your breath when the wind blows by me. I will call your love when the moon is bright and 
keep you near to my heart and my mind. Now pass the gates beyond that rainbow bridge and go with steadfast, loyal, joyful heart. My voice goes with you through the open door to tell the spirits of your deeds and love. They will greet you and keep you safe beyond that quiet veil of mist and inner light. We will meet again one day, my good friend, and you will guide me on that endless path. Take care until we meet again. That's a nice one. Works out pretty well. It's got some of the the same sorts of things that you know we, we talk about when when I when I talk about funerary things for humans, the eye to the sun, yeah. the mind to the moon. So trying to reflect those human experiences into the relationship was what I was aiming for. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about Druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.